How to Rejoice, a handbook for choosing unwavering joy. Well, in your handbook, there is uh, on that second page, you know, pastors set it up to where we have a big idea. And so the big idea in your handbook is simply, if I could kind of wrap it up into one phrase, it's simply whether I live or die, whether I live or die, I am a winner either way. Pause for dramatic effect. Whether I live or die, I'm a winner either way. Now, if you're paying attention, that should kind of rub a little bit. Wait, wait a minute. If I live or die, I'm a winner either way. It's, it's like this idea that you've got a coin with two heads on it. And no matter where you go with the, with the coin, you say, hey, heads I win, tails you lose, and you flip the coin. This, what we're about to learn from the Apostle Paul is that for him, Christianity is a two-headed coin. Because for him, it's a win to be here and to be alive, but it's also a win for him to die. In fact, right away we find out in the scriptures that this is a battle that, that the Apostle Paul, as a believer, is now struggling with. And, you know, as I was thinking about this passage and began to go through this, this really familiar verse... I kept thinking about when I was younger, um, and I would hear older people use a phrase, and I didn't understand it. In fact, I think, I think the first time I ever heard it, my grandmother said it. If I really push back into, the, into my memory, I think I remember my grandmother saying this phrase, something like this people would say, um, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Anybody ever heard somebody quote that scripture out of Revelation? I think it's Revelation 22. You've heard that maybe before. It just seemed like when I was a kid, I would hear somebody say that. It always kind of freaked me out. You know, like, well, you know, what are you talking about? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, just almost this kind of a um, declaration of, of desperation. I'm ready for you, God. Just come on. And I can remember being a kid hearing that phrase, and I was like, man, I don't, I, I don't like hearing that phrase. And then it, as I, as, even as a teenager, I could remember hearing that phrase, and I kind of had this attitude, like, I guess that's just what old people say, you know? They're just sick of living, you know? <laughs> they want the Lord to come back. And then, then when I got saved, 16 years old, at camp, by the way, I got saved, I can remember this process happening that, that there was, it, initially when I got saved, there were some real battles of, of changing, there was transformation going on in my life. I didn't get saved and everything that was like negative about me stopped. I went through a real tough battle as a saved teenager. And God was teaching me a lot. But the next year is when God got a hold of me really. And I, I said, God, I want to surrender my life fully to you. And I got on fire. I mean, my junior and senior year, I was still a train wreck, but I was on fire for the Lord. I mean, I was just, God, what do you want me to do? In fact, I remember the week before my senior year, I was headed to one of our soccer practices for my senior year, and I was driving an old 1980s CJ7, no doors on, no top on, um, and, you know, I had the top off, and going, going down I-26, you know, I-26 where the way station is right before you get to Hendersonville, um, I drove that to get to school, and I'm on I-26, I've got my foot propped up on the side view mirror of my CJ7, you know, I love that Jeep, had big old mud tires on it, I love that thing, and I just thought I had the world by the tail, you know, 16, 17 years old, God's got a call on my life, well, about the time I got to the way station, a, a guy in an old, like, early 1970s Chevy Impala, have you ever seen one of those? It's like a dinosaur on wheels, it's just a massive cargo like barge kind of car he stopped on the interstate in front of me and I I just had time to kind of sit up didn't have my seatbelt on got my foot over and pulled my foot in to hit the clutch downshift hit the brake but by the time I even got all my feet in the right position 
I was right on him at 65 miles an hour. I still can remember hitting the brake, and there was just a short little, because I had those big Wrangler RT tires on, those big mud tires, and they tried their best. It was like, but bam, I hit him. It, it um, bent the front of the Jeep into the axle and blew the tire Push the back end of the Jeep up in the air, and here I go, just like this. I only remember this because there's flashes of it in my mind, but later on, the DMV guys that were standing there watching the whole thing happen told me what happened exactly. It launched me over the hood. I went flying over the hood of the Jeep. The Jeep came up over the top. I landed on the interstate still doing 65 miles an hour. I slid on my chest, my hands. I can still remember trying to keep my arms up in front of me as I hit the pavement sliding. At one point, the doctor said when they cut my class ring off my finger that was smashed flat and I had a, a rubber burn mark, they said that the tire of the Jeep must have come over behind me and hit my hand, and that's why my ring was so flat. I put, took all the skin off of my pelvic bones. I was so skinny, my pelvic bones got raw. Took all the skin off of my hands. I was just like raw as could be. In fact, when I stopped sliding, the Jeep went to the other side of the interstate. When I stopped sliding, I stood up because I was thinking, I'm in the interstate. I'm on the interstate, and I thought I was going to get hit, and I jumped over to the median, and when I landed, I kind of lost, my, lost consciousness, and I woke back up, and the, the paramedics were working on me because there was literally a, an ambulance traveling behind me. I'm telling you all this to say that when I got home later on after being scrubbed and, and then bandaging me up, I got home. They towed the Jeep to my driveway, and I'm sitting in the living room at my house, and this is how on fire I was during those days, just so bold for the Lord. God, what are you going to do with my life? I was sitting at the dining, room, the dining room table. My mom was sitting there with me just staring at me like, and she's saying, Tim, you could have died. Tim, you could have died. Today you could have died. I don't even know how you lived. And I remember leaning across the table and going, Mom, I got to call a God in my life. I can't die. <laughs> she almost smacked me out of the house. She said, don't you dare. My mom had this like uh, tone she, she would go into when I was a kid. Like every word had spaces between it. Don't you dare say that. God will take you out of this world. You know, and she was just, she could preach if she needed to, man. She set me straight. But man, I thought about those days and I would hear somebody say, even so, come quickly, Lord. And I would go, no, 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 hold on. I got, I got ministry. God's calling me. I don't want the Lord to come back, and I, I want to stick around for a while. It was this idea of, you know, hey, I want to live and do something for the Lord. But I'd hear some person say that, some old person, and maybe I guess you've given up. I mean, come on. What do you mean the Lord come back? So I went to Bible college, and, the, and in Bible college, I was going, man, I'm going to get my degree in student ministry, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back into ministry, and I'd hear somebody else, oh, even so, come quickly, Lord. And I was like, whoa, 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 slow down. i got to get into ministry I, I, before, before you, you have the Lord come back. Well, then I met Libby in college. And then I'd hear somebody else say, even so, come quickly. I was like, no, no, hold on. I want to get to know this girl a little bit more. And she was on fire for the Lord. And, and then we graduated from college. And I just knew that I was going to graduate from college, get right into ministry, and then the Lord come back. And I've done all this prep, and I never even got to do the ministry. I hear somebody say something along those lines. Even so, come quickly, Lord, you know, looking forward to being with the Lord. And I would be like, no, no, no. And, and of course, we, we're, now we're engaged and our honeymoon was coming. And I was going, please, God, do not come back before my honeymoon. Please, I'm begging you. And sure enough, God let me go through the honeymoon. I was like, oh, yes. And then we launched it, came back to Asheville right out of college. We were hired right out of college to come here and be the student pastor at Trinity. And, um, and I was so excited about ministry. You know, I hear somebody say, even so, Lord, come quickly. 
I was like, just hold on. And then we started having children. And I'd find myself saying, even so, Lord, come quickly. God, please, I'm, I'm ready for you to come back. God, please. You know what's crazy? If you really sat me down now and really thought about it with grandkids coming, I'm going, okay, God, just give me a couple more years to get to know. Isn't that interesting? And what we're finding out about Paul is that this is, a, this is what Paul is talking about. In fact, the very first verse I'm going to start off with, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 21 says, For to me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Read the rest of this. It's so good, this whole passage. But if I live in the flesh, now the word flesh here doesn't mean in sin. A lot of times we hear that phrase used talking about the flesh and sin. But he's saying if I live here in the flesh, if I live here on earth, if I live in, in, the, in the life that I'm living here, it is fruit for my labor. I can get some good stuff done. I can, I can work. Yet what I shall choose, I, I, I won't not, this says, uh, the ESV says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Do you hear what Paul's getting ready to launch into? I really had to sit back and look at this scripture for a while. I've never thought about it in the idea of this, this context of we need to rejoice, choosing joy in our, in our lives. And in this context, I'm listening to Paul say this idea of, which of these will I choose? Being careful to protect the context of the, of the meaning of this passage, I'm careful to push into this, and maybe one day I can talk to Paul about it and say, Paul, where was your head? Because here's Paul doing these incredible things for God, and he says, for me to live is Christ. I want to live because I can make a difference for the Lord, but to die is gain. And then he asks the question, do with it what you may, but he asks the question, which do I choose? And if that's not enough for you, listen to the rest of this. It says in verse 24, or verse 23, for I am in a strait betwixt the two. The ESV says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Even so, come quickly idea that, that I choose to be with the Lord. Now, put this in the context of the Apostle Paul. He's been beaten. He's been abandoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stripped naked. And I believe personally at one point was stoned to death. But God did something supernatural in his life and revived him. Read the scripture. And so he's literally been all this. In fact, he says one of my favorite little verses I encourage myself with because I have scars on my body from student ministry. I had surgery on this finger to pull a tendon back up and to put it on the top of this with a button one time because we were playing capture the flag and a teenager that was stronger than me went down and just tore this finger up. And there's a really cool scar on here. I can I kind of show you scars around my body and talk about why my knees don't work too well. The Apostle Paul has this little verse where he says, I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word mark literally is the same term back then they would have used for branding, like they branded a prisoner or branded a Roman soldier with, the, with his sergeant's insignia on him. He's saying, I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul that's saying, I, there's times when I feel like I've just had it. And God, this is, I don't know, I think about living for you and there's this, I know that I'm accomplishing great things for you and I know that you're using me and that people need me and the gospel needs to go out. But I just think, man, God. And if you've ever done ministry, 
If you've ever been faithful, if you've ever been pouring into someone's life, you know this battle. Because there's moments where you go, God, even so, come quickly. Hey, have you got a child that's wayward? that you've prayed for and you've worked on and you've prayed for that person, you've faithfully been pouring in them, man, you, you see God doing a work and you're nervous that they're gonna, they're gonna run from the Lord again or whatever you're pouring into someone, you've been in ministry, this battle that the Apostle Paul's feeling becomes really, really evident in his life right here. But look at, the verse, look at verse number 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you it's important for me to stick with it. It's important for me to, to hold on. You know, I brought something with me from camp that's like one of our iconic things that, that you're gonna, I think, would help paint a picture. I'm all about uh, illustrations and being able to paint a picture. So I brought something with me, and I've got somebody here that's gonna help me out. James is gonna help me out with this. But there's a lot of great tools in camp ministry, and a lot of them are just classic. I mean classic stuff. And I brought, James has helped me out here. I direct, thank you, James, very much. This is so great. This, I brought this right from our, it actually came out of our BB gun shed. And uh, so don't get near it. It smells a little funky. But this, this is one of my favorite um, tools of, of really just student ministry. You know what this is, right? It's tug-of-war rope, that's right. And a tug-of-war rope is powerful because this thing is, this thing is heavy. I think it actually may be like an old, um, it might be like from, a, from maybe like a, a tugboat or something, but this thing is heavy, it's massive, and this thing is huge. It's probably long enough for, for I don't know, maybe a couple hundred campers. And this thing right here is a great picture of what the Apostle Paul is talking about because a tug-of-war rope I'm going to tell you, the battle of a tug-of-war rope is serious. You know what? I saw Jovan over here. Jovan, will you help me a second? That's great. Come on up here, Jovan. You're, you're going to be perfect for this because I think I can beat Jovan up. I don't know. But Jovan is going to help me out here. Jovan was just on a New York trip. It was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. So, Jovan, if you'll grab this rope right here. Just help me out. Hold on to that rope right there. And I'm going to get down here. Now, buried inside here, I can't get to it, but is this piece right here. This piece right here is really important. Can you see that, Merriman? This piece is really important. If I pulled the whole rope out, that piece would be right here in the middle, that little bandana. And that piece marks the center line. And on this side is, is Jovan. And Jovan, you stand right here. That'd be helpful for me, right there. See that little mark right there? If you go outside, that Merriman can't see us anymore. So right there, they're seeing you. Perfect. And so, <laughs> tricks of the trade. But this, this, this side, I'm going to be pulling against you. Now, pretend for a second, right here where the pulpit's at, there's this mark. And what Jovan and I are working on is we're doing our best. I mean, we're going to do whatever we can to pull that flag over the center line to win the battle. And you know what the Apostle Paul's saying? The Apostle Paul's saying, I feel like I'm right here. If you pull a little tension on that rope, just kind of pull that red, perfect. Whoa, that was a lot of tension. That was perfect. <laughs> This is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage, for me to live is Christ. You know, for me to live, I'm, I'm pulled because you, there's need for me to be here on earth. God, you've got a great plan for my life, and God, you've got great things that you want me to accomplish. But inside of him, there's a pull that I'm looking forward to heaven, and my desire is one day to be with the Lord. And this pull back and forth is happening in the Apostle Paul's life. And I believe that one of the things we're about to reveal in here, that the key to Paul making the right decision, the key to him remaining joyful 
to be able to rejoice is what he says in this passage. And I think, too, that it's so true that Jovan and I represent a struggle, a battle that goes on in each one of our lives. To give up and say, I don't know that I can do this anymore. And to let up on the tension of the rope. And if you've ever done tug of war, it's one of my favorite things to be on the mic whenever they're pulling. He's, they're over here pulling, they're over here pulling. And I love to be at the center mark of this. And I've got a mic on or somehow I've got the loudspeaker on and I'm in control of the volume. When you say go, the tension on this rope becomes so powerful I mean, it's like, a, it's like a piece of rebar. The rope is so tough. When you've got 100 kids on this side and 100 kids on this side, every person's footing is so important. And if I ever see a team losing, I always get to that side and go, don't you give up. Don't let up. And they're digging their feet and they're pulling. You know, they're like stacked right up against each other. And I'm telling them, everybody matters. Don't let up at all. And they're just pulling, pulling, pulling. I remember one time we were doing this at a college event. We had about 150 college students this event. And I, I got a hold of a tug of war rope because I wanted to do, the, do this, this game. And I didn't really check the rope out real well. And Jovan, I had them pulling. There's like 75 college students on one side, 75 on the other. And when I said go, they put the tension on that big, thick rope, not as thick as this. And as soon as, about five seconds into the pole, it sounded like a shotgun. Pow! That rope broke right in the middle, right in front of me. And they all went flying about 20 feet. It was amazing. And you know, the tension of that is unbelievable. Thank you, Jovan, very much. And so this, this illustration, what Jovan and I are trying to illustrate to you is what the Apostle Paul's facing. And the joy of the Apostle Paul is the very thing that is keeping him towing the line. The very thing that keeps him from saying, oh, I give up. I've seen it happen before in tug of wars. Somebody's, you know, you've got about 10, 15 feet to pull that flag. And as soon as a few people on the team start to feel like, uh oh, we're losing, we're losing, you can kind of see them relax. Mm -mm. You cannot relax in the tug of war because as soon as you start to relax, the team begins to gain momentum. And the Apostle Paul is communicating to us in this, in this passage, I've done it so much, I've been through so much, I look toward heaven and I think, I'm ready to depart. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to say, hey, I've done my part. I'm ready to loosen up. I mean, Jonathan, I don't know where Jonathan is in the building, but what a powerful, powerful words this morning we were singing. And that one verse that he was seeing just hit me. Didn't that happen sometimes you in worship? Like one little phrase will hit you and you're like, oh. It's like you stop and you really pay attention to what you're singing. That one little phrase where you said, death has lost its grip on me. I'm sitting here thinking about tug of war. This whole message has been preaching to me personally because if I were to be completely transparent with you today, I'll tell you that my wife and I, we feel the weight of coming up on 30 years of student ministry where we have held the rope. And there's times in my life, to be honest with you, I feel what the Apostle Paul's saying. I feel like, is it really worth it? Can I keep doing this? Can I keep holding on? And the very thing that has the Apostle Paul in the next verse say, I'm convinced of this. Look at verse number 25. 
I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy in the faith. He says, because of the joy that it brings me, because of the joy that I am providing to those who are looking up to me and depending on me to hold, I'm not going to let up and give in to depart because I have work to do. For me to live, for to me to live is Christ. Hey, to die would be gain. But for, for to me to live is Christ. And my motivation, according to verse number 25, is for the joy that is in the faith. And if you're taking notes today, this big idea of whether I live or I die, I'm a winner either way. My encouragement to you today is to find joy. And if you're taking notes, I would give you this first thought about this little verse in first, uh, Philippians 1.21. He says, for to me to live is Christ. Do you know in that little, that little phrase right there, there's several principles that are really powerful. Let me give these three to you really quick. For to me to live is Christ. You know what he's saying here? For to me to live is Christ. He's identifying why he's finding faith or finding joy in his faith. And he's literally, as this booklet is telling us, how to rejoice. He's finding that joy in his life is the very thing that keeps him towing the line and being faithful. But I think hidden inside this little verse are the three principles. In fact, not even the entire verse, but that first section, for to me to live is Christ, are the three keys of why Paul was able to sustain. In that first one, for to me to live is Christ, defines that his greatest purpose is Christ. If I were taking notes, I would jot that down, that number one, his greatest purpose is Christ. You gotta determine what your purpose for living is. In fact, the tug of war image is so powerful because it's exactly what happens in ministry. When you're, and when I say ministry, I don't mean full-time ministry. I don't mean you're a missionary in Africa. I mean, you're a faithful mom. I mean, you're a faithful husband. I mean, you're a faithful business owner that's, that's walking with the Lord. You've, lost, you've not lost vision for being the believer. Even in your personal walk with the Lord, whether you're going through some health issue, that you're not losing the joy in your walk because you have maybe lost the focus of what your main purpose is. And I have a lot of purposes in my life. I have another purpose, getting ready to enter into my life in just a few days. Man, don't you think that I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have a huge addition to my life and a purpose to live when that little, when that little Ira is in my arms? Whew, I can't wait. That's a purpose for me. Man, I'm married to Libby. That's a purpose for me. I, I'm passionate about my mission. I'm passionate about my call, my, my, the literal actions of what I do in my ministry, my job as a director of a camp, as a student minister, as a pastor, really. What I do, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about the mechanics of my job. But my greatest purpose, this is what the Apostle Paul's saying, no matter what your purposes are in life, what is your greatest purpose? In fact, I'll tell you, we're really intentional, Pastor and I are, about the wording here. That it's, it can't be, the Apostle Paul's not saying, my only purpose is Christ. He says, for to me to live is Christ. This is my greatest purpose, is Christ. 
amongst all the things that we say, man, this is a, this, I gotta be purposeful about this, and I gotta be purposeful about this. My greatest purpose is Christ. And that right there is key. Because the Apostle Paul says, I can't give up. I can't stop. I can't quit toeing the line. I can't let up the pressure, no matter how difficult this is, and no matter the desire I want to give up, and, and my desire is to be with the Lord. For to me, to live right now is Christ, and I've got to do my part. I've got to hold on tight. No matter how hard I pull, I've done this game before where we get done with this and we've done two or three rounds, guys against girls, girls against girls, girls, guys against counselors. We've done it all different ways. And whenever we get done, the kids come over and go, oh, my hands hurt. Or maybe they got a burn mark across here. Or maybe there was that one guy at the very end of the rope that thinks he's going to be smart and he wraps it around his waist. And now he's got a burn around him. It's so fun. And one day we're going to look back at hev from heaven and we're going to go, you remember whenever you, you were going through that? And you're like, oh. But imagine when we get to heaven and we're so glad we didn't give up. You didn't let go of the rope because your joy was in the fact that my main purpose, my greatest purpose is Christ. And I can't give up. I'm choosing joy. And I want to learn how to rejoice in my life because it's not just about me being a happy Christian. It's about me making a difference for Christ. Listen, if it's about you being happy as a Christian, you'll let go and go to heaven. You're in a win-win situation. But you've got to choose that Christ is your greatest purpose because people are dependent on you. And not only that, it is the source of your joy. If you let go of the rope and you make Christ no longer your, your greatest joy, your greatest purpose, you know what you're going to do? You are going to begin on a journey of trying to find something on this mud ball we call earth that will replace the joy, the, the real joy that Christ will give you when you make him your greatest purpose. Watch the people around you struggle in this world. Piles of money, piles of materials thing, materialistic things, piles of stage and influence, fame, but yet their life is empty because their greatest purpose is not Christ. When you make Christ your greatest purpose, powerful things, powerful things happen. One, it gives you direction. My wife isn't a public speaker, and, but man, can she preach. She doesn't tell her testimony very often except amongst maybe a handful of girls that she's influencing. And man, has she influenced an army of young ladies in her life. But one of my favorite things about her testimony is that when she was in middle school, God worked in her heart and she surrendered her life to full-time ministry. In fact, she journaled in middle school that one day she was praying that God would allow her to, to marry a youth pastor. Now, we didn't meet till our freshman year in college. But as a middle schooler, she journaled that she, would, she was asking God to allow her to marry a youth pastor one day. She even wrote down, this is kind of eerie, but she wrote down in her journal names. I guess girls do this in middle school. They start to write down names that they would name their children. Guys just don't do that. Guys are like, I ain't having kids. <laughs> but girls, I guess, in middle school are already thinking about and praying for their kids. Do you know one of the names that she had journaled in her middle school journal was the name Brady? that she would name one of her kids. Now all four of her kids are named Brady. It's crazy. But you know what that did in Libby's testimony? It's powerful. Because when I met Libby, 
as beautiful as she was, I mean, she was, you know, the cheerleader and the, and I say was, now she's much more beautiful than she was then, but she's beautiful, talented. She's got these incredible friends. And I was like, why are you not dating anybody? We first got to know each other. I was like, are you, so are you dating anybody? I called, her, I called her on the phone. The first time I talked to her on the phone, I asked her out. She turned me down five times in one phone call. No, I can't do that. No, I don't know you. No, I'm busy that time. No, I'm sitting with somebody else at church. I'm like, come on, I'm asking you to sit with me at church. How, how much of a commitment is this? No, 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 no. She didn't want to have anything to do with me. Finally, I got to meet her. And it wasn't even about who I was. You know what, you know what God had done for her in middle school and now even at the end of her high school days? You know what God had done for her? She had determined that her purpose in life was to be a student pastor's wife and to do, do student ministry. And you know what that purpose, her greatest purpose in her life, even as a middle schooler, did for her? It gave her direction. Why would I even go out with this guy over here? Because he's not gonna, he's not gonna be a student pastor. He doesn't love the Lord. He's not serving God. He has no passion to do something for God. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. And I didn't even know it, but the magical words for me, I guess, when I was asking her out was, my degree that I'm working for here at Pensacola Christian College is a student ministry degree. She was like, okay, well, I'll talk again to you again. Let's see if, see if this is gonna go anywhere. So that was a purpose in her life, and it gives direction. If you don't have Christ as your greatest purpose, you don't have direction. It determines your community. It does. It determines your community. The people in my life, I'm careful about who's influencing in the inner circle of my life. But much of that I don't have to work on because when I'm focused on my greatest purpose being Christ, it helps create the community that I need around me. It develops the proper community. It defines your success. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. When you make Christ priority in your life, like the Apostle Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. That is my greatest purpose. The rest of your life begins to fall into place and ultimately creates sustainability for you with the joy that it creates in your life, according to the Apostle Paul. I've got to hurry. The same verse, the same little section of the verse teaches us another principle because hidden inside this is another message where he says, for to me to live, dot, 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 is Christ. Point number two. For to me to live is Christ. Literally meaning that not only is he my greatest purpose, but he is my highest hope. He isn't ultimately the goal. He's not just the end zone. You know, I may be, a football team may be looking to, how are we going to make the next five yards? We just need a first down. They're looking for the next five yards. I keep picking on Jovan, but he's a football player. He knows what this means. Jovan, we just need you to give me five more yards to get a first down. Even though that is the thing they're focusing on in this play, that isn't the main purpose, is it? Their greatest purpose is the end zone. They want to get to the end zone. Your greatest purpose is Christ. But what is going to get you to the end zone? The Apostle Paul says, even for to me to live, for me to move one yard at a time, for me to make these five-yard moves, these little decisions in life, it's not just my end zone, but Christ is the field for me. For me to live is Christ. Christ is my highest hope. He's my sustainer. 
All in this little verse, God's creating these principles that are keys to success of why Paul was able to hold on tight to the rope and not let go. Galatians 2.20, underneath that point, he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. This is written in your, in your books right at the bottom of that first page, Galatians 2.20. It says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who, is, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what this verse is telling us? It's telling that Christ is my only hope day to day. For me to live is Christ. And then number three, I find this to be true in this passage. He says, it's interesting that we blow over these verses, these words sometimes, but every, every word in scripture is powerful. It's interesting that Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. So point number three is, not only is he my greatest hope, number one, three, he, or two, he is my highest hope, he's my sustainer, but for to me to live is Christ literally means he is my personal choice. He's my personal choice. I'm grateful that the Apostle Paul says this. It reminds me of in Joshua, I wrote it down in Joshua 24, 15, where Joshua's talking, and you know this passage, it says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell, but as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That's so good. And it's not just, you know, a good plaque to put on the outside of your house or to have cross-stitched in your pillow to put on a, on a couch. It is a declaration, a personal declaration. It's a choice is what Joshua was saying. Hey, you do what you want, but as for me in my house, we're serving the Lord. You know what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul saying all the way now in the New Testament? He's saying, for to me, to live is Christ. For to me, this is my decision. This is my choice. And that is what God is calling you. That's why Paul was able to say, I'm sustaining, I'm holding on. And I get the beauty Libby and I do in student ministry to watch the light bulbs come on in a 15, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, when they say, you know, I've grown up all my life around Christianity. I've grown up in the church but that light bulb comes on and says, but I want to make this decision on my own. I'm choosing Christ. It's beautiful. And the apostle Paul saying, this is my choice. I'm choosing. I'm choosing to make this my choice every single day. In fact, you know, I, I, I think this is such an incredible thing, this booklet and this idea of how to rejoice. But I want to tell you something. If you want to know how to rejoice, I think some people in the building need to know how to rechoice in your life. Because the truth is that we didn't all come in here today completely prepared in the right place. Some of us are making wrong choices in your life. You've chosen to put a higher priority than Christ. You've chosen to say that my hope is in something else. My hope is my sustainability in life is, is maybe in my, my adrenaline rushes, my pursuit of more material things, maybe even some kind, of, some kind of addiction that you're caught in in your life. These things are the things that I'm hoping are going to sustain my hope. When, we're, when this comes down to the Apostle Paul saying, listen, you've got to make the right choice on your own. For to me, I choose Christ. And if you want to rejoice in your life, you better rechoice in your life. I'm thankful God is a God of re, isn't he? Re. 
to enter into your salvation, you had to re, you had to repent, didn't you? In fact, to regain your relationship with God, you had to come to know the Lord in salvation. But aren't you glad that even though you gain life through Christ, you revived, that there's points in your life where God brings revival in your life when you've gone through a hard point, point in your life and God says, hey, I'm gonna revive you. He's a re-God. Psalm 37 tells us that um, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, but though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for I uphold him with my hand. God knows you need to be re every once in a while. Renewed, reestablished. God is a God of re. He understands you're going to be pulled off track. In fact, that verse in Psalm 37 doesn't say the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. If he falls, it says though he falls. It's kind of like, you know, when you buy a motorcycle, people always say, you know, you say, well, just in case I wreck, if, if I wreck, and people say, no, if you have a motorcycle, it's not if you wreck. You're going to lay that bike down at some point. Hey, if you're a believer, in fact, I, I always tell people that have motorcycles, and I, one day I'm going to have a motorcycle. It's on my box. You know, I'm checking that box at one point, and I'm looking forward to doing that. But anytime you take four wheels and subtract half, the, half those wheels, you're cutting your safety in half. You're going to lay that bike down at some point, Right? Hopefully it's just in a little bit of gravel as you're making a little turn somewhere, but you're gonna lay it down. If you are a believer and you're pushing, you, you may be at some point readjusting and just for a split second, God's saying, Re hold on, hold on. And if you've slipped, maybe you've dropped and you fell, you've lost your footing because of some bad decision, God's saying, don't give up, rechoice. Rechoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rechoice. Choose Christ for me, for to me to live is Christ. It's gotta be your decision. To die is gain. One day, it'll be worth it all. One day, we'll be glad that we said, I chose to not let go. I chose to not give up. I chose to rejoice. And the bottom of that line in your booklet says, a handbook for choosing unwavering joy. Don't let go of the tug of war rope. People are depending on you. Don't give up on the tug of war rope because your joy in your, in your walk with the Lord is depending on you. The right choice in your handbook would simply say this, today I choose to live in such a way that Christ is both my greatest purpose and my highest hope.